Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. All right, friends, welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm your host, Lane Nordland, and welcome to 2022. I'm sure many of you have made your New Year's resolutions and are looking forward to this year. I know so many cattlemen and women across the nation are looking forward to this new year. We went through a lot in 2021, and we are looking uh, forward to hopefully a great year here in the new year. Joining us today is CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall, from the Denver office and out in Washington, D.C., Vice President of Government Affairs for NCBA, Ethan Lane. Uh, Colin, uh, how are things down in Colorado here as uh, we kick off the new year? Well, we're off to a great start in the new year. Had plenty of beef over the holidays, but, uh, you know, in 2022, it's time to eat even more. So uh, things are things are looking good, and I think overall everybody is pretty optimistic going into this new year, and we're going to hope that we can keep it that way, especially since we're just a month away from being in Houston for the 2022 Cattle Industry Annual Convention and NCBA Trade Show, which we know will be a lot of fun and a great opportunity to get everybody together, have uh, the, the chance to talk about a little policy, have a chance to hear from some great speakers, and then ultimately sit down, talk about the issues, and make the plan for the coming year for this association. Very true. It's going to be exciting to see everyone in person in Houston. And for yourself, Ethan, uh, how are things going as uh, we wrapped up the holiday season and uh, 2022 is now upon us? Well, Happy New Year to you and Colin both. I, I the holidays were a success. They're in the they're in the bag. Our family has been fed plenty of prime rib and sent on their way. Uh, we have a little bit of leftovers left in the fridge, and we are excited to get back to work here in Washington. Uh, there's going to be a lot of activity here in the D.C. office and, and up in in in, uh, in Washington generally in the next few weeks, uh, and it is going to culminate, as Colin said, uh, with our trip to Houston here. Uh, before you know it, in in the, uh, in a few short weeks. Uh, to get back into that policy process and uh, catch up with everybody and, and, and make sure we keep the ball moving forward. So uh, this team is rested and refreshed and ready to get back to work in our nation's capital. And when we look at the team in D.C., the team in Denver, and all the work that uh, cattlemen and women put into their respective state associations and on the national level, the, the foundation of the organization is the policy book in advocating for the nation's cattle and beef producers. So when, when we look at the past year, it, it still seems that 2020 and 2021 were kind of just mashed up together, 24 months of, of uncertainty certainty uh, coming on the tail end of 2021 a lot uh, a lot better uh, uh, maybe outlook for some producers maybe a not so good outlook for producers in my region where my family we had to sell most of our cows because of drought so I know it, it, it's been an odd two years but from the policy side for NCBA members and producers, uh, what, what has changed in the past year, Ethan and Colin? Uh, uh, what is some work that has been done, well, really kind of doing a year in review? What, what were some of those key things that happened in the past year? Uh, uh, Ethan, I'll, I'll let you start off if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, I think coming into year two and in and, and not too much time, year three of coronavirus, you know, this was an opportunity in the last year to start kind of course correcting and, and, and responding to some of the stress testing that we really did 
unfortunately, at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in our supply chain. You know, we, we learned some tough lessons about labor in the plants. We learned some tough lessons about getting products shipped around the country. Uh, clearly, our producers have learned some incredibly uh, uh, tough lessons and had some tough uh, uh, financial uh, results over the last couple of years selling cattle and, and, and selling into this pandemic. And as we kind of see that uh, cloud part a little bit and, and we, we start to apply some of what we've learned uh, to, to improving uh, the supply chain coming out of some of the problems that we've seen, uh, continuing our focus on markets and, and leverage for our producers. Uh, you know, I think, it's, I think it is a time to be a little bit optimistic. We never like to see producers sell cattle when there's so much opportunity growing around the world uh, and demand for our products, particularly uh, specifically U.S. beef. But, you know, it, it is, it is going to lead, I think, to uh, uh, some, some pretty uh, healthy prices for our producers, and that's been a long time coming. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a good opportunity to kind of move forward and, and, and move in an upwardly direction while looking for some opportunities to keep turning the wrench on some of those supply chain challenges that we've really uncovered in the last couple of years. And Ethan, as you said, it, it is tough, especially like for, for my, my dad's operation when, you know, we're not a big operation, but we just couldn't afford hay after four years of drought. And, you know, we decided it'd be best that uh, we, yeah. we liquidate the herd. And, and I will say we, we got very good prices for our steer calves. The, the cows, some of the older ones didn't sell great. But, you know, at the end of the day, we'll probably be buying back in or, or running yearlings or something like that on the Nordland end of our family operations. And that's separate from my involvement with my in-laws and, and my own personal ventures. But I fully understand that some Sometimes uh, producers like myself have to have a rough go of it for producers in other parts of the nation to see a better price. And uh, and that's a tough call, and it's tough to see the, the cows go down the road. But I'm optimistic about the future, and as you said, we are seeing beef demand increase. So we'll cross our fingers that uh, that the calves that we still retained and whatnot uh, will we'll be able to, to get a nice price. Colin, what is uh, your, your uh, kind of look back on the year? I'm going to take a little bit different angle from Ethan, and I'm going to look specifically at the new administration, now almost a year into the Biden administration. And when we look at any administration, whether that's Republican or Democrat, one of the barometers we use is, what have they done to us? And that's a that's a big question to ask. And boy, it opens up a whole lot of conversation because whether it's inflation, whether it's Afghanistan, you know, there's any number of major national issues, the supply chain concerns that Ethan just talked about and the government's response to that. All of that has an impact. But when you really boil it down to those cattle specific issues, what has the administration done to us? And I think we're pretty happy to report that as of yet, we're in a good spot. They haven't done much to us yet. We've been able to keep a lot of the provisions at bay. You take things such as 30 by 30. Uh, almost a year ago, that's all we talked about was 30 by 30. We were able as an association to come in, use the policy that we have to make some tweaks and changes to the administration's plan and really put that in a place where it wasn't going to be all encompassing. We then started looking at Build Back Better and infrastructure and the fact that some of those initial plans were going to balance all of that money on the backs of cattle producers and all of agriculture through changes in the tax code, 
things such as eliminating the step-up in basis, one of many proposals that we saw. But because of our work in Washington, D.C., the team that's there 24-7 and putting out the grassroots cry to all of our producers to engage, we've been successful at pushing back on the administration and having the high ground there. And doing so with a lot of Democratic friends on Capitol Hill, especially on the House side, which shows quite clearly that NCBA can work both sides of the Hill to be successful. So overall, I think we have to say we're in a really good spot this first year of the Biden administration and keeping a lot of bad ideas at bay. But there's still three more years, at least, if not more, that we need to be prepared for. But that's where our action in Washington, D.C., talking to the administration on a daily basis, talking to Congress on a daily basis and implementing the policy of our association makes us such an effective voice for the cattle industry. And Colin, as we look uh, back over the past year or previous year, a lot of producers, everyone at, at, at ranches, feedlots, everywhere across the nation, the discussion around cattle markets and what's going on in those markets, uh, a, a top issue for so many producers out there. What were some of the developments in work, whether it be uh, pressing the uh, the uh, Department of Justice to continue its investigation into possible market manipulation to even all the livestock groups in the U.S. coming together to to have an open conversation about key issues impacting the industry. Could you maybe just share a little bit on that as well in, in a year in review recap? There's no doubt that not only this past year, but also in 2020, that cattle markets were top of mind of every producer in this country. And it was top of mind for us as an association because we are a grassroots-focused association. So if it's on the mind of the members, it's definitely going to be on the mind of us as the staff to move forward with the policy that was passed. And we had some great policy that put us on a path to take some very strong, positive steps in trying to address the market situation. And we did so with our price triggers subgroup. We were pushing for more cash trade to help with price discovery. And we're really excited to announce that we were able to succeed in getting more cash trade developed throughout the year. That is something that we have been able to see, our members have been able to see, and most of the market analysts are talking about it and have been talking about it at the end of the year and now here in early 2022. So that that was a, a function of NCBA's effort to make this a priority, to talk about it and to get out there and really push for it. We also spent time working on other policy that we had, putting forward a cattle contract library. That legislation has passed through the House. We're still looking at next steps, both on the Senate side and ultimately where it goes. But that is something that we felt was a very positive move in being able to help educate producers, put in a a program that helps educate producers on just what kind of marketing opportunities are out there. This is an educational tool to give them the chance to see what's going on, what, what exists, what options are out there. So that way, our members, our producers can go and talk to other partners that they have in the supply chain to see if that works for them. And of course, you did mention the big meeting of all the groups that took place last summer. And this was NCBA, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, RCAF, NFU, Farm Bureau, and LMA. And coming out of that meeting were three areas where all six groups agreed. One was to continue the Department of Justice investigation to pull that to a close and to get some word out to the countryside on what happened. 
We were going to look at capacity, specifically being able to expand capacity to help us on the packing side, but to support a cattle contract library. And even though all those groups came out, there was one who ultimately decided not to engage on the cattle contract library when it was over on the House side, and that was RCAF. So for all intents and purposes, that effort was a wasted effort. And moving forward, we're, we're, we're going to find groups that want to work with us, but we're not going to do any more of these uh, big y'all come uh, meetings because it's, it's obvious that people who are engaging just don't want to follow through. NCBA has been the group that has followed through. We'll follow through. We will continue to follow through. And moving forward, we're going to work with groups who, uh, who actually have a desire to try to help producers. Ethan, do you want to jump in on that one? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would echo Colin's comments. I, I think it, it really comes down to, you know, the difference in, in how these different groups operate, right? We have a 147-page policy book that is given to us by our grassroots members. That's the Bible for my team here in Washington, D.C. We don't take a step out of this office if it's not, you know, enumerated in that policy book that that's what the members of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association would like us to do. And, and you know, there are days when that's a challenge, right? Because, I mean, take this current supply chain mess that we've been dealing with in Washington. You know, there are really niche shipping issues and shipping container issues that we, we would like to be able to be working more on, but we just simply haven't created policy in the, in the cattle industry to give us some direction there. So that means we don't engage on those issues until such time as we get some of that policy. But it also means that when we do engage, we have the, the, the confidence that members of NCBA, affiliates of NCBA from coast to coast have, have debated these issues and have, have really come to some sort of an agreement that this is the direction the industry needs to take. And, and that really means something here in Washington, because you have a lot of people who just kind of make it up as they go. Um, we don't have that luxury, nor are we interested in that. We are interested in representing the producers that are members of our association. And, and so, you know, that does become important when you get into some of this territory we've been in. You know, gosh, what do we, what do we think about a, a cash mandate on, on fat cattle trade in this country? Uh, how do we feel about conservation and sustainability in the administration's you know, efforts to, to, uh, uh, to create some new programs in that space. What do our producers think about that? Uh, you know, what do we think about trade? What do we think about opportunities to go into a growing market like China? You know, I mean, I've had conversations with producers on the ground here in the last few weeks, uh, just before Christmas, you know, how much is too much into China? We've got a billion dollars of trade going into China that we didn't have two or three years ago because of some of our efforts. And, and you know, it, it begs the question, you know, how far we want to go there without, you know, pushing more into some other markets. Those are all conversations that have got to occur amongst the grassroots to inform us as to how to proceed here in Washington. And, you know, to Colin's point, we don't have time to wait on groups that don't have that same sort of uh, touch point with real producers in the country. And, and we're going to have to keep looking for those opportunities to engage in groups that see the world the same way we do. So, Ethan, a question that, that I, I see folks on Facebook uh, ask and in person, I've been asked this, well, why can't NCBA just uh, change your policy or your position on these issues at the drop of a hat or, or a Facebook post that somebody might put right. out there? Can, can you maybe walk us through how the policy actually is created? No, that's a great question, and, and you're right. I mean, it's one that we get more often than, than I guess I would have expected. Um, you know, our policy process starts in the states. It starts in the counties. 
uh, you know, the ideas that eventually make their way into the NCBA policy book typically bubble up in a county cattlemen's association meeting where there's an issue that's nagging at somebody, right, or a group of producers or something they're seeing regionally. And that makes its way through a, a state cattlemen's association meeting. Um, you know, my team and I have sat through uh, quite a few of those debates in state cattlemen's association meetings over the years. And that's that real, that's that real policy process at work where, you know, you have producers that are from the same state that kind of see the world the same way. Typically, they're from the same segment of the supply chain in various states, and and they come up with an idea and send it to send it to the national convention. And and by the time it gets to the national convention, and we've had some chance to look at that from different angles, then you get a really national perspective on it. Then you get the opportunity for producers from other parts of the country to weigh in and say, "Gosh, you know, we don't see it the same way on our end of the country," or you know, we don't see it that, that same way, um, you know, in our part of the supply chain, whether it's, uh, you know, feeders talking to cow-calf producers or stockers, you know, anybody in that, in that range is going to look at some of these issues differently. That's the policy process at work. That's where we really get a chance to get in there and figure out how we find uh, the right set of language to, to give this staff uh, in, in Washington, D.C., the direction we need to educate Congress and to help them know uh, uh, which direction to go on some of these policies. None of that happens overnight, right? And, and typically, when you look at a policy in our policy book, it is the result of years of work by literally hundreds of different producers around the country in different state associations. That's just on that one issue. By the time it goes to the policy book, 26,000 members of NCBA are given the opportunity to vote on that policy. This is, this is truly as grassroots as it gets, but nothing like that happens overnight. Uh, that is a process that has to evolve over time, and that's the only way you get well-thought-out policy. And as we look at that policy creation that will happen in uh, just a few short weeks, over a month, I guess, at this point, down in Houston, uh, there are a lot of opportunities that we are, are uh, looking forward to in the year ahead. Colin, what, what are you most excited for as we look at this new year of 2022? It's, it's hard for me to even even say 2022 here at this point, but what, what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? Well, I am excited about what we're seeing in the cattle markets. And to your earlier point, yes, it, it is coming at the expense of a lot of our members and a lot of great people that because of the drought have had to liquidate. And, and that is unfortunate. So if there's anything everybody needs to be doing right now, it's just praying for rain across the country because we have tremendous demand. And we are working on a lot of programs to try to increase packing capacity. So we need the cattle. We want everybody to be able to participate in the current market and try to uh, really uh, get uh, get some get some good profits here. Uh, that's that's what we want, and we're hoping that we see that here in 2022. Hopefully, we get a weather pattern a change get away from the La Nina back into an El Nino pattern and uh, be able to, to help you, Lane, and your family and uh, producers across the country just be in a better position to capitalize on these uh, on these markets. Because again, that, that demand is there. The consumer wants our beef. They've made that clear. Not only the domestic consumer, but the consumers around the globe, they want our beef. So the opportunities are there. And another thing that I'm looking forward to is more work by NCBA to uh, push out 
what we did last summer during our convention in Nashville and rolling out the sustainability goals for the beef industry. Uh, we made it very clear to the administration, to international bodies, and to the consumer that we're, we're serious about this. We're at the table. Uh, we're at the table because it's about showcasing what we're doing. There was a former NCBA president from Nebraska to J.D. Alexander who always said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. We refuse to be on the menu when it comes to this. And it it doesn't matter the debate about climate change. I know that there are people on all sides of that debate. But the fact is the consumer is talking about it. This administration's talking about it. And we we can we can make a choice. We can we can deny it and and be a non-entity in this discussion. Or we can make very, uh, very clear that uh, we want to have this discussion. But we're doing so not from the perspective of encouraging more rules and regulations on cattle producers. Quite the opposite. This is about us showcasing the work that this industry has already done that has not been recognized. Because when it comes to the president's climate goals, if he's going to be successful in meeting those climate goals, he needs us. He needs green space. He needs grazing lands. He needs cattle on those grazing lands. And we can show that. We can show that through what we're doing with uh, wildfire mitigation. We can show that in what we do to keep the rangelands healthy. We can show that in what we do as upcyclers and taking a, a feedstuff that is no use to us as humans and use that ruminant stomach to turn it into the best tasting protein out there. We can capitalize on the GWP star, the global warming potential star methodology that's out there that shows that methane is not as uh, big, bad, and ugly as a lot of the climate change people want to make it sound. And that when you look at the true life cycle of that methane, we as an industry can reach climate neutrality by 2040. All of these are very positive things. They're not meant to be seen as a negative. It's about showcasing our work, showcasing our stewardship, not only of the natural resources, but showcasing our stewardship of the health of our cattle and also taking care of our workers. Because we know and we have seen here the past couple of years of the pandemic that if we don't have workers in all phases of this chain, we as the producers are the ones that end up suffering. So continuing to tell that story, get it in the hands of policymakers, getting it in the hands of the consumers is going to do nothing but benefit us as cattle producers. Ethan, uh, same question. What 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 are you and your team in D.C. Uh, looking forward to the most here in the new year? You know, we're going to be in a really strong position here in Washington coming into the midterm elections to really help some of these members of Congress that are I honestly trying to figure out how to keep their jobs, to understand how to connect with rural America, how to connect with cattle producers, what this industry is really looking for from the government, which most of the time is just for them to stay out of the way, stay out of our business, and, and let us do what we do, let our producers feed the world with the highest quality beef we've ever seen. Um, part of that is going to be helping them understand uh, just just what kind of uh, you know perspective our producers have on on these issues like taxes, uh, like climate change. Uh, as as we see more of the kind of fighting we've seen over the last uh, over the last year here on Capitol Hill. I mean, we always say, "Gosh, this is as partisan as we've ever seen Washington." Well, I'm pretty comfortable saying right now, this is as partisan as we've ever seen Washington. 
And, and that's not going to go away anytime soon. But it does offer a really unique opportunity for this industry because beef isn't Republican or Democrat. Everybody loves a cheeseburger. Everybody loves to eat a good steak. And everybody loves the story of how that product is produced. It's one of our greatest assets, and it's one of the things that helps us connect with members of Congress and decision makers here in Washington, D.C. So I think we're really excited and have this renewed, uh, you know, renewed enthusiasm here at the beginning of a new year to lean back into some of those conversations here in D.C. as we get into this uh, run to the midterm election and, and really make sure we use that voice that we've worked so hard to gain here in Washington, D.C., Make sure that we're using that to represent the views of cattle producers around the country and really get their message out there to make sure that we're creating the best opportunity possible for our producers to, to be profitable and to find those opportunities to grow their operations and, and build something bigger than what they've had in the past and look for those new opportunities. So we're, we're optimistic. Uh, we think there's a lot of opportunity on the horizon and, and we're excited to get started. Now, I do want to mention the 2022 uh, NCBA Legislative Conference, Ethan, because there's going to be even more opportunities for cattlemen and women to showcase their environmental stewardship and the sustainability of our ranching lands uh, with all of these key decision makers in Washington, D.C. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's right. We are going to have a really interesting opportunity to take something that has been really successful in, in our NCBA conventions in the past and, and, and expose a new audience to it. You know, I, I say this a lot, I'll say it again here, we are really, really good in the cattle industry at telling each other what a great job we do. And, and what we need to get better at is telling other people what a great job we do. And, and this is a fantastic opportunity to do that here in our nation's capital, uh, to, to celebrate the success of conservation in the U.S. cattle industry, uh, along with the decision makers that are, that are trying to figure out where we go from here on some of these issues. Uh, what a great opportunity to connect those two and do it while eating some of the best beef in the world uh, right here in Washington. So we're really excited to be able to do this. Uh, you know, we were derailed last year because of COVID. Uh, we're not getting derailed this time. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're moving forward and we're looking forward to having a big crowd. But when you think about that, Ethan, when you have uh, that winner of the ESAP or even just the regional finalists being able to rub shoulders with these decision makers and for the decision makers, whether it be agency officials or elected officials, for them to be able to hear these stories and, and not just see it on, on Cattlemen to Cattlemen or, or watching it online, you know, which is a great way to get that story out there, but but to, to be there and to see that in person, because that, that's one thing that is so important about the Hill and the work that your team does. And I know it's a little different with COVID, but being face-to-face -face with these decision makers, how important is it for them to be in that room and to, to have that captive audience when we're telling our story? You, you know, I, I mean this as respectfully as possible to all of our friends on Capitol Hill. Everybody thinks that their cousin that's in the cattle business has told them all there is to know about raising cattle and the challenges that our producers face. And, and a lot of members of Congress, I think, feel that way. But nothing nothing illuminates some of the challenges that we have and the needs that this industry has better than those face-to-face -face conversations. You see the light bulbs come on, you know, with some of these members and with their staff when they're talking to an honest-to-God producer that is down in the weeds on an issue saying, you know, look, I appreciate the work that you're doing, but you're missing the boat here. You're missing the, the opportunity or you're getting this policy wrong, and here's what really is needed for, for me to be successful in my operation. 
th those conversations are invaluable and, and, and they really resonate with Capitol Hill when they're coming from producers. We're great at what we do. My, my lobbying team here in Washington, D.C. Is, is as good as any in Washington. I'd say we're the best in town and I'm confident saying that, but nothing, nothing is, is as impactful as a, as a producer making the trip to Washington, D.C., knowing they have a lot going on at home to tell that story face-to-face -to, -face to those members and their staff. Uh, it just always gets that message across in a way that nothing else can. Well, it's going to be exciting, and I encourage everyone uh, to uh, check out uh, that legislative conference that NCBA will be holding. Uh, uh, do you have the dates in front of you? Because I do not, Ethan. Uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's going to be March 20, uh, 29th, 30th, and, uh, uh, and uh, April 1st uh, of 2022, I believe. Great. Well, again, visit uh, ncba.org and, and look at that and, and work with your state affiliates. And uh, if you've never been to Washington, D.C., or if it's been a while, I'd encourage you to come out. It, it's a great way to, to be boots on the Hill advocating for the industry uh, and not only participating in this ESAP Awards event, but also just being face to face with uh, those decision makers that uh, have, a, have a lot in, in uh, deciding our futures here in the countryside. And also one of those big uh, topics that uh, producers are, are very concerned about is, of course, uh, consumer perceptions of labeling when it comes to fake meat products. What is that looking like, Colin, when we are or when we're looking at making sure that uh, real beef is labeled real beef and we have these imitation products uh, wanting to piggyback off of all our success with our term beef, the all-natural product that it is. What, what is that looking like here in the new year? The issue of fake meat is just such an easy one for us to work because there's so many good things for us to be able to showcase, not only to the consumer, but also to our members who want us to go out and attack these products, which we are and which we're having a lot of success of uh, really kind of Thornton some of their uh, some of their efforts. Uh, it, it's all about perspective, though. Too. I remember before the pandemic, uh, all we talked about it seemed like was fake meat. Then the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden we realized quite clearly from all of the photographs that we received of empty beef cases across the country that the consumer was still a real beef fan. Especially when a lot of those photographs would show a fully stocked. Uh, case of, uh, of Beyond Beef sitting right next to it. That made us feel really good. So we, we know that the consumer's with us, but that product is still out there. And so it's not so much worrying about the consumer turning and, and abandoning beef to take on this product, but it is about making sure that these products are being open and honest. And of course, most recently, it was comments that we put in place back at the end of 2021, making very clear that uh, there needs to be some qualifiers here. You can't just go out and call this stuff beef. Uh, we need to make it very clear to the consumer of what they're getting, whether that's plant-based or whether that is test tube beef sometime in the future, because we do know that work continues on cell cultured products. Uh, that needs to be open and honest. So that is something that NCBA still has a priority. Let's make sure that the nomenclature is clear so there is no confusion. But when you're looking at whether that is the plant-based product or the cell-based product that, you know, at some point in time will come online as something that's more affordable right now. It, it's still very much in the development phase. Uh, we've got to make sure that, that stuff's not combined with our product as a way to try to short the system. 
So as we look forward in our engagement on fake meat, it's not only about the, uh, the, the labels and, and what it's called and what the consumer sees, but making sure that nobody decides they want to start cutting real beef with, uh, with the fake stuff in order to, uh, uh, to, to whatever it may be that they're trying to achieve. We don't want that. And so we, we're going to keep a close eye on that. We already are, but I think there's going to be probably an even bigger challenge or concern for us as more of the self-cultured product is getting closer and closer to commercialization. Well, again, that's a, a top uh, concern for producers. And as you mentioned, NCBA is already working on that. And uh, again, uh, we still have the test tube uh, cultured meat uh, still on the horizon. It is being developed, but uh, to make sure that that labeling is uh, uh not going to infringe upon the work that cattlemen and women do is so important. And uh, a lot of people may be wondering, uh, Colin, uh, why why should I join NCBA? How, how, how can cattle producers help NCBA achieve these goals? Obviously, it is by paying a membership, but I, I know you probably get asked that question a lot when you're traveling the countryside. Why, why, why should I pay my dues? What What is your response to producers that are going through drought, that are having all these uh, uh, troubling issues that impact our bottom lines? What What is your response to them? Quite clear that if you you really want to have a difference in this industry and you want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep the government out of our way, to make sure that the consumer knows the facts of beef production and what we're going on. NCBA is the only organization out there that is making that happen specifically for cattle producers. The fact that we have an office in Washington, D.C. that is staffed with 18 experts within this industry is a critical component of that membership that you have at NCBA or the membership that you would get if you decide to uh, to, to pay and, and be a part of our association. That alone is invaluable. All we have to do is go back and look at the past couple of years. The only agricultural trade association who never closed their office in Washington, D.C. during the pandemic was NCBA. And the reason why is, one, we couldn't blast our staff out of there. They're committed to this association. They are committed to the members, and they knew that if they were going to make a difference, they had to be there. Because even though we had to find some new ways to engage with these members of Congress, we were still able to do it. And the best way to do it was from that office, working together as a team. And that's why if anybody who's listening to this podcast right now received a coronavirus food assistance program, CFAP check, they have NCBA to thank for that. And that's not just us boasting. It That was the uh, uh, opinion of Secretary of Agriculture at the time, Sonny Perdue, who made it very clear that had NCBA not been there on the Hill, making things happen with the House and Senate, the CFAP program would have never happened. It wouldn't have happened for cattle producers. It wouldn't have happened for anybody in agriculture. We're the one that made it happen. So uh, anybody who received that check, that alone should pay for your membership because we are the ones that got that done. It's because of the work in Washington, D.C. We're the ones that prevented any major tax increase from happening this year. I mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation about some of the proposals, things such as eliminating the uh, step-up in basis. All of those tax provisions, there was a study done that showed that had all those come to fruition, the things that the president wanted, that Congress was looking at, it would have added a tax liability of $1.7 million to every operation 
in this country. Uh, that's money that most producers just don't have. We were able to stop that because of what we're doing in Washington, D.C. So it is that effort on policy that is alone probably the best value proposition of being a member of the association. But also being a member of the association means that you help determine what that policy is. And Ethan's already talked about that. If you're sitting at the coffee shop and bitching and moaning about NCBA, I don't, I don't feel sorry for you. I'm sorry. I, I've, I've got nothing to do with you because you've got to show up. You've got to be a member of the association. You have to be active. You have to participate in the policy process. Take a vote because that's what we as your staff then take and implement in Washington, D.C. and implement as we deal with other people within the supply chain and doing everything we can to be an advocate for this association. Not to mention all the other great perks that are out there. You know, things such as if you're a new member to get uh, dewormer, uh, parasite control from Norbrook with their EpiZero product. Uh, th- that is a, a, a huge benefit. Matter of fact, your first year, that EpiZero alone would go and, and pay for your membership. But discounts with Ram Trucks, John Deere, New Holland, Case, uh, the, the list goes on and on of ways that you can use your membership to not only get that voice in Washington, D.C., but to help uh, get things a little bit cheaper working with some of our partners. So uh, I think overall, if if there is uh, that value proposition is if you, if you want the future of this association to be one where you can keep doing what you're doing and that your children and their children can keep doing what you're doing, there's only one group to be a part of, and that's NCBA. And I'll tell you what, uh, Colin, that uh, RAM discount, it makes a big difference when you're going in and buying those uh, important rigs that uh, we all need uh, to get to town, to get our livestock to town. Uh, we, our, our places use that uh, RAM discount uh, uh, almost uh, every time we buy a RAM, which, which is really important. And, and that's just that that's just really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to those membership benefits. Uh, really, the policy is the number one uh, in advocacy is the number one uh, membership benefit. Uh, we all know that. And uh, gentlemen, I know you both have very busy days and we are preparing for the February 1st through the 3rd uh, cattle industry convention and uh, NCBA trade show dates uh, down in Houston in just uh, just a month. What uh, what are some closing thoughts that you have for our audience here today? Maybe we'll see them down in Houston. Uh, Ethan, I'll, I'll let you uh, uh, share some final thoughts with us here today. We've had more participation and, and more engagement in our policy process and in some of the issues this, this, this industry has faced over the last two years than, than maybe ever. Uh, people have had to get smart on issues that have never really been part of their business model in the past. And, and that has led to a lot of producers that know their business and now they know how their business is impacted in Washington, D.C. Houston is the next place to show up and make those, those voices heard. And, and, you know, I encourage people the same way I do when I'm out around the country, pick up the phone, call us. If you hear something you like, if you hear something you don't like, if you're seeing something that's playing out differently in your neck of the woods than it is, uh, you know, nationally, that's, that's a fantastic opportunity to get your voice in the process. So I just really encourage everybody to, to take some of that newfound knowledge, that newfound attention uh, to, to how politics and policy is impacting your business and put it to work. And, and help us figure out some of these problems and figure out some of these opportunities and move forward. So look forward to seeing everybody in Houston in a few short weeks. Colin? Lane, the world belongs to those who show up. 
I don't know who coined that, but I have always liked that saying because it is true. That's whether you're on a PTA, a church board, or the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. The world belongs to those who show up. So we encourage everybody to come to Houston February 1st through 3rd. It's not too late to register. Just go to ncba.org. A couple of clicks, we'll have you set up and ready to go because we're going to be able to participate in that policy process to give me direction, to give Ethan direction on where you as cattle producers want this association to go. But it's also about the fun. We're going to have a great time. It's the largest trade show in agriculture, indoor. It's uh, an opportunity to see some some great speakers. Uh, we're going to have George Foreman's going to be there. We have the comedian Jim Gaffigan who's going to be there. Uh, Joe Theismann's going to be one of our uh, speakers. And it's just a good time to see your friends, to see your neighbors, have cold beer, some good food, and enjoy yourselves. So come be a part of the process because, as I said, if you want to bitch and moan, that's on your own. But if you want to actually get something done, come be a part of the group that's making it happen, and that's the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Very well said, Colin. And I, I, it's a lot, lot of fun. But we do a lot of work when we're down at this convention. And uh, but that Cowboy Comedy Club Thursday night wrapping up uh, the convention. Uh, the last time we had the Cowboy Comedy Club was, I believe, down in uh, Phoenix. And we had two of the Who's Line Is It Anyway uh, cast members, and then Bill Ingvall. And, and I didn't think you could top that, but having Mr. Jim Gaffigan be the closing uh, hot pocket. Uh, God, I, 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 my, my wife is so jealous she can't come to this year's event for that wrap-up uh, Cowboy Comedy Club brought to you by Caterpillar. I, I'm looking forward to some Jim Gaffigan comedy here in just a few weeks. We all are. It's going to be a great time. So, as again, it's not too late to register. Go to the website, ncba.org, and we make it easy on you. And for our audience that did not get the Hot Pocket uh, reference there, I, I, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go look up a Jim Gaffigan. But, <laughs> again, we have uh, Colin Woodall and Ethan Lane joining us here today. Again, don't forget the first uh, through the 3rd of February is the 2022 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. We have a lot ahead of us during this new year, but uh, the work that is underway and the policy that will be created and reevaluated here in just a few weeks will be the foundation of NCBA for the year and years to come. Gentlemen, any last thoughts before I let you get back to your work day? We just appreciate everything that every cattle producer is doing in this country right now, and we're going to do what we can to showcase all your great work, protect you, and to make sure that you can keep doing this for generations to come. Well, gentlemen, thank you both for joining us here today on the Cattleman's Call podcast. We look forward to seeing all of our friends uh, from the Micro Connections podcast booth as well from the convention. If you see us recording uh, the show in just a few weeks at the convention right by the Trade Show Grand Entrance doors, stop by or listen to the podcast that we will be recording there as well. Or just stop by and say hello for hanging out. It's always great to see people. And if you have a cold Coors Light, I will never turn one of those down. But uh, we look forward to seeing everyone down in Houston here very soon soon and again thank you to colin and ethan for joining us here today for the cattleman's call podcast i'm lane northland we'll catch you next time thanks for tuning in to ncba's cattleman's call podcast with lane northland for more information visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today